Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the January 29th episode. It's the last episode in January, um, which means if you're following along with us and you're reading in our challenge, make sure you're marking off those weeks as complete because next week we're drawing for what? A mug? What are we drawing for? I don't remember. I have it written down. I think, I think we decided on something. Oh, did we pick stuff? Well, I figured it was all going to be merch, right? So we'll start with a mug and then, yeah. I don't know, t-shirts. Yeah. We've got t-shirts. Hats. Hats. Yes. Make sure you check it off because we'll be picking a name next week on the recap. Yeah. We should do it with our guests. <laughs> we should maybe have our guests on the first of the month so that they can pick the name. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. So we are covering Genesis for another few weeks. We entered Mark on the last day, Friday, and then we're mostly in Esther. We finished Nehemiah and we're in Esther. We usually start in Genesis and then who knows where we end up, Meredith. Meredith is here with us. Hi. Yeah. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm excited about having guests. It always is fun to add another voice. Different perspective. It is fun to have. Yep. So we're in Genesis. That's where we're going to start. We'll start in Genesis chapter 24, and then see where the spirit leads us. Genesis 24 oh. is Isaac and Rebecca. And there were a couple times this week in our reading that I was reminded of Ruth. One of the overarching things of Ruth is seeing God's hand work behind the scenes. Kind of. Yeah. I saw that a couple times, especially in the Isaac and Rebecca story. And maybe partly because of this translation, it like actually says working behind the scenes, but how Abraham's servant kind of makes this deal with God, you know, like he's almost like, well, and then Isaac, we see that a few times too in Genesis, these like almost like bartering with God, but God leads him perfectly to Rebecca and just how all of those pieces fall perfectly into place. Do we know the servant's name? No. Okay. Or we don't know. Oh, so this is fun because I'm working. Yeah. I'm working on the worksheets for Abraham right now. So this chapter was really, this is the last, this is the last of the worksheets that I did. But what I love about this particular chapter in 24 is the servant and that he's unnamed because I see in him everything that I hope to be as he's amazing. my master's servant. Yeah. The first thing that I notice is how like careful he is to make sure that he understands Abraham's wishes because he's like, Abraham's like, come make an oath. And he was like, okay, wait, so if I can't bring her back, do you want me to take him there? And Abraham's like, no, just this like clarifying, like before I go run off all velocity, no vector, let me just make sure that I really understand your heart here. You really Mm -hmm. want her to have a wife or you really want her to have a wife, but not at the expense of going back. You know what I mean? It was just such a, I really loved the time that he took there to make sure that he didn't just hear his word, but he understood his call. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked that it was to show unfailing love to my master. Yes. I was like, I'm just yes. Like, oh, that's amazing. 
And yeah. just not only does like Abraham have such faith and that like he's just already like, you know, an angel's gonna be sent before you and it will just all work out. And like how he's so careful, but he's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna have faith too, and I'm gonna show unfailing love to my master. Mm-hmm. That is that is so good. Shows Abraham's character, right? That he loved yeah. him so much. And even just I think I didn't think of this before, but this is almost like Ruth and Naomi. Like, I wonder if that servant, I guess I kind of assume he's a foreigner because he's Abraham's servant. And yet he has faith that Abraham's faith kind of rubbed off on him, that his example. Well, they're all circumcised, right? So like when Abraham gets the promise, like it's not just him. The whole household, right? The whole household gets circumcised, which is a sign that they're within, they receive the same promise as Abraham. So like. Which is the first sign that we get that it was never, that the faith was never intended for just a lineage, but mm-hmm. for anybody who chose it. Like that's, I never noticed that before either. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, sidetracked. No, I think to go along with that is, I think I sometimes assume that just because they were kind of like grafted into that, they didn't all exercise the faith. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to see it actually play out yes. from someone who probably wasn't started out as an outsider kind of like Ruth did and then ended up having incredible faith and watching it all watching God answer all of that so specifically I just wanted to take a short break to let you know that we have a brand new community of believers on our dive collective network if you're looking for a more in-depth bible study we offer what we call dive studies right now we're going through the book of Genesis in eight week sections and we'd love to have you join us we have weekly meetings via zoom so if you're looking to go further in your studies i highly recommend that you come and see us at divecollective.org for more information i didn't know that laban l-a-b-a-n laban laban Laban. yeah i didn't know i recognized laban's name from jacob's story Mm -hmm. but i didn't know i didn't realize that he was in Rebecca's story too. Like I didn't rec- I didn't know the relationship between all of them until I, know, I, I looked him. forward. I remember like when I saw his name before in something, I was like, Laban, 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 who is that guy? Cause I knew he was like a person that was important. And I had to remember, I had to look forward to remind myself who he was. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. Meredith. I don't like him. Like already just like in this chapter, I'm like getting like fishy vibes from him. I, I never got fishy vibes yeah, before. It, it was only because chapter. I knew who he was. So I was looking at it. Now I get the fishy vibes. That's so I was like, so them. did, so it was like, okay, her brother Laban. And he was kind of, it seemed like he was already expecting the servant to arrive. So I'm like, did he have like some sort of dream that we don't know about that? He was like already expecting this, but then I'm like, okay, well then why is he requesting like 10 days? Like, why does he want her to stay? for 10 days and what, like, what is the purpose? Like already I'm like, mm, I'm not, I'm not keen on this He's character. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I really so, love that the servants, when Laban asks them to stay, the servant is like so anxious to get back to his master to, sh- to share like, no, no. Like, his success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed in 26 that I just feel like it's kind of a repeat of Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. When they go in and they say, oh, she's my wife, because they thought they would kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. Right. Isaac does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like the third time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she has a hard time bearing children. Right. Because in the other stories, God closed the wombs of 
interesting. And he opens the he opens Sarah's he opens womb her- right after he opens mm-hmm. the wombs of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting, Meredith. I didn't think about that, but that's related here too. It seems. I thought it was interesting. It's the same thing. Like- yeah, yeah. Abimelech, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same one. <laughs> like he's like, no, no, no. I'm on to you. I know how this works. Yeah. I thought it was cool, and I know I've seen this in the past and we will continue to see it when outsiders recognize God. And so Abimelech, he says that he and his men say that to Isaac after this whole well scenario, they say, we recognize God's on your side. So we want to make a treaty with you. And I just always think that's interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, the Philistines for the most part remain pagans and they're enemies of Israel. But some, at least some people recognize who God is and where mm-hmm. does that go? Like, does that recognition of God lead them anywhere else? How many people seek further? Mm-hmm. When I was reading the story of where Rebecca kind of tells, I think it's Jacob, to go and like prepare the soup for his dad. And I'm just like, why, first of all, why do women feel the need to meddle so much? And like these like problems, like I'm not like, I mean, I love both of my kids, but I don't think like, I I definitely have like a mental, mental connection with one of them where one of them, I can just look at like the way he's looking and I can read his mind. I'm like, no, you're not doing that. And he's like, how did you know what I was thinking? Um, but then when it says in 27... 36, it says, no wonder his name is Jacob, for he has now cheated me twice. This kind of reminded me of like the story of Cain and Abel and how they're just like, there's just so much of this competition. Mm -hmm. There's like this theme again of like God showing the competition and how just I think nothing really good comes from competing. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Nothing. That's interesting too, because I feel like right at the very beginning, Um, when Jacob and Esau are born. Their names. Right. And it's made pretty clear that Esau is Isaac's favorite and Jacob is Rebecca's favorite. And so just like Aaron and I have talked in the past about like, like the good parenting and the bad parenting that we see in all of these stories. I mean, that's not a great way to start out, you know, and that it's so obvious that it starts out right at the very beginning. So something that struck me about that same scene Meredith is that Isaac <laughs> tried in three different ways to make sure that he was blessing Esau. Like he tried all of his senses. Yeah. He smelled him. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, touched he him, touched him. He heard him. Rebecca was very thorough in her disguise. Yeah. And he even recognized the wrong voice, mm-hmm. yeah. but everything else was telling him that it was the son that he meant to bless. And so he blesses them. And then like he shakes, like it says that he trembled when he realized that he, when Esau comes in later and he realized what's mm. happened. And I was thinking, man, like the blessing that Esau got is what was going to be left for Jacob. Like that was, he left nothing for his other son, like, no, nothing good for his second son. But at the end of the day, he still had that like, well, this is God's doing. Like there's, there's, this is the way that blessings work. And this is how, this is what's left. And even though he trembled and you could tell he was so upset when he realized what had happened at the end of the day, it was settled. It was just like, well, that mm-hmm. this is the way that it is. It is like, there, I can't take back the blessing, which to me, like that was a big, like, 
what is a blessing? Like what, what is the power of blessing that I clearly do not understand? Right. This is a very cultural thing in my mind, yeah. but you raise a good point. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I was like thinking, gosh, like there's, there's obviously power in blessing. And I was thinking the same thing about prayer and intercession regarding lot, you know, that like, do I really recognize like how important that I can intercede for somebody and he can take somebody by the hand and set them outside the city here, that blessing. It's like, I don't think I really understand the power that I have in blessing and cursing somebody. I've always looked at this as kind of like, I mean, really, Isaac, you could have said something nice. Like, yeah. And, and like you said, the, what was left, what, what Esau got was what Jacob would have gotten that this was part of so this is where like that favoritism, well, yes, oh, but like humanly speaking, yes. Isaac didn't save anything good for Jacob. Esau was his favorite son. Yeah. And so like his plan was to give all of these good things to Esau. And then Jacob was basically going to get not even the leftovers. Like he basically gets cursed instead of getting yes. blessed. I have a question and I'm going to play, I'm going to say kind of like the, the flip of this coin is when they were children. Esau did hand over his rights. Right. But it's as, different. It's different. It's know. a birthright and a blessing. Okay. But if you hand over your right as firstborn son when you're young and you're kind of just like, this doesn't yeah. matter to me. Sure. Why not? And if this is a cultural thing, you would have known, okay, this is part of it, mm-hmm. you know? So had. It's not actually part of it is what I'm saying is that I always assumed that it was part of it, that the, yeah. the blessing was part of the birthright but yeah. they're not, they're two different they're not, things. Okay. So it wasn't like he yeah. had a right to the blessing and not yeah. and Jacob was going to be left with the yeah. curse. That's not how that. And when you look at, when you look at like later on, I think we'll see when Jacob blesses the 12, his 12 mm-hmm. sons, like those are all, you can kind of tell that some are, some are good and some are not so good. And it's not mm-hmm. really, um, has anything right, to do right. with birth yeah. order. But yeah. that being said, Meredith, that, that was this was the first time I read that and saw that. I always thought that this had to happen because this is what Esau sold to Jacob. Yeah. But that's not, it's right. to, yeah. two totally different things. I don't remember what I read. It specifically says in here somehow though, that it was totally, that they were different. Which, and this is the first time I read that. Which begs the question, what exactly did Esau sell to Jacob? Like, what is that birthright? Like, well, in, isn't it just all like the inheritance? The inheritance. And the role. Which is yeah. totally separate from the blessing. So Jacob is viewed as now the firstborn son as far as like everything that he inherits. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And so that was fulfilled at the time of the birth, like when he sold that to him. His name being deceiver is so interesting. And his role, that whole bowl of soup thing has me very like... It's like Sarah and Hagar. I'm mad at different ones that every time I read it, sometimes I'm Mm -hmm. mad at Sarah and sometimes I'm mad at Hagar and sometimes I'm mad at Jacob and sometimes I'm mad at Esau. Like, I guess that's the picture of humanity we're supposed to get Mm -hmm. every day. (laughs) Or I'm just mad at Rebecca. I'm like, stop meddling. Just let your sons be. Yeah. I like, you have such high hopes for Isaac and Rebecca when you read the beginning of their story. You're like, oh, this is going to be so great. Like you said, I mean, if he's willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup, I'm kind of like, Rebecca probably knows, like, this is the one that deserves, like, I know what Abraham's about to do and he's wrong. So I'm going to fix it. Yeah. (laughs) Not that that's right. I totally think you're right. Like she shouldn't be meddling. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, she's not an idiot. 
So yeah, let's go to Esther. Nehemiah slash Esther. Does anybody have anything from Nehemiah that they're burning to share? The only thing that I had from Nehemiah 13 was I thought it was interesting how he's like listing. It's like it's like a recap kind of. And he's asking God to remember. This is the part that I played. So please remember this good thing that I did. He does it three or four times. Mm -hmm. One of the things that comes up to me. And I don't know if this is just where I grew up, but I feel like them listing the names of all of the families just reminds me of like when you build any sort of like, I'm going to say like stadium or something. And there's like those bricks <laughs> that get paved into like, yeah. <laughs> and to me, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is just something that like even 2000 or however many thousands of years later, we are still doing the same thing. Like, I remember there was an episode of the Gaines family where like they go to his old university and they like are looking for the bricks in the ground of like where their names are. And I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. of like when this story was being told over and over again, that if you were one of these families, you're like, here, here I am. I am like part of, I am part of the families that built the wall. And I just think that's kind of, because I think to us, we're just so far removed from it. We're just like, I can't, and I can't pronounce this name. Mm -hmm. I can't pronounce this name. But if you think about how like culturally we are still doing this where like anytime there's a donor, I remember my parents were part of like the families that created a play structure in our city and like my handprint will forever be there. Like my four-year-old handprint and my name will always be part of this like jungle gym type of thing. So I just thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. Along the lines of what you were saying about wanting to be remembered. Mm-hmm. I was, I wrote how hopeless it would have felt to be the only one who seems like he cared. Like it seems like Nehemiah is kind of like, they've already married these other, like he's, it's mm-hmm. almost like he's like, a fish trying to swim upstream and it like the way the impression that I get is that he's kind of like even though this is all gonna crash and crumble like please remember that I tried right. you know, please remember that I was, remember like remember effort. my yeah. yeah and like and it makes me feel or think about what I feel like sometimes when I'm like you, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and you're like but he does see me even mm-hmm. if it feels like I'm ineffective even if it feels like I'm not doing anything meaningful like he does see he does see, mm-hmm. even if it isn't successful, even if it doesn't last for generations, like he sees the work that we're doing in our places for him. And he remembers that like, he does remember, mm-hmm. you know, that's just encouraging. Speaking of remembering this week, we get to see where the King remember Mordecai at the perfect time. Reading Esther kind of makes me feel like a little girl. <laughs> I think I, I had this book when I was a kid that told the story of Esther and it was my favorite. And so whenever I think of Esther, I'm like this little, she was like my favorite Disney prince. You know what I mean? Like, you know how girls are like obsessed with Disney princesses? Esther was that for me. This is good literature. Yeah. I remember one night I opened up my Bible, just be like, God, just show me something. And I landed in Esther and I actually read it like one through nine and one sitting just it was just amazing. I'm like, I couldn't stop reading. I'm like, well, what mm-hmm. happens next? It's like a really good, like, okay, well, okay. I want to know more. So much and just intrigue. tell me more. Yeah. Yes. yes. 
I feel yeah, like Esther is like, it's, it's the entire Bible <laughs> in nine in chapters. Yeah. Yes. Like all of the dramatic irony, all of the unexpected endings, like surprise, the tomb is empty. Surprise. Like he's, he's actually meek and humble, like surprise, you know, all these, I just feel like it's nine chapters of just perfect literature. And it's just the Bible, the whole Bible is just an expanded version of it's funny you say that because I mean, I know this is like kind of going ahead, but in 610, they talk about taking robes and a horse and for him to like walk through. And um, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. I'm just like getting this picture of Jesus riding on the donkeys and like mm. everyone, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like shaking. That's good. I like That's that. Cool. Right before that in chapter six. So at the very beginning, the king can't sleep. He asks for the record book to come and be read to him. And they came across the story about the time Mordecai. It reminded me of Ruth, Ruth again. Like yes. it just so happened that like, well, and Esther is one of those things that everyone talks about. The thing about Esther is that it's in the Bible, but God is not mentioned a single time. Like it doesn't talk about God specifically. And so that's the one of the purposes, of right, for Esther being in here is to be able to see God working in the background, even when he's not specifically. And and that reminded me of that, that they just Mm -hmm. so happened to open this book to the very page where Mordecai is the hero and the king is like, oh, dramatic irony. Now seems like the perfect time to honor him. I mean, just the timing is just all the characters you're saying God isn't named in there, but Let's just talk about the characteristics of God that are all written right. here. His justice. Right. He's all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mercy, his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He is all over it. Yeah. This is one of those books that it's like, I mean, we could talk about it, but. I think there's a study. In, yeah. I was uh, just going to say. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. Esther 2022. I feel like oh. that's what we, we need to just say. Go read Esther. That's what everyone needs to yeah you need to hear us talk about it just go read it yeah yeah that's right it's nine chapters we can't recap yeah, this it's still so I, I have 10 but nine nine and ten can be combined yeah yep. 10 is super super yeah. short yep it's a short story it's, it's very good full of dramatic irony mm-hmm. and full of god's rescue of his people like that's again one of those like he just rescues his people and he's but he requires the participation of his people mm-hmm. in the rescue plan you have to go do the thing. And Esther is the hero because she goes and she does the thing that she risked her life. She risked her life life. to save her people. And she wasn't in a great place to begin with, you know, like just how Esther ended up in the palace in the first, she's basically taken captive by the King and forced to marry him. Like that's not a great situation. And yet she's still in all of that. She does the hard thing and God rescues his people through I'm I'm all for an Esther 2022 Bible study. (laughs) I think an Esther study would be great. It would be really cool. Are we moving on? Yeah, I was just going to say, should we move on or should we read Esther? Do it. Let's go read it. Matthew into Mark. We get to read the end of Matthew. Mm. Starting in 23. Is that right? So the very beginning of 23... I have a couple of notes in here. And I think part of the reason this stuck out to me is because of this version. But he's talking about, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the religious leaders. When I think of the religious leaders, like the scribes and the Pharisees, I think of Jesus attacking them 
like they're just wrong. They're just always wrong, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how I think. But he says here, the religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. And then goes on to basically say that they say the right things, but then they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. And I thought that was interesting. And then the next paragraph, he's, he's saying like, I loved this. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. And it made me think about um, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Like my burden is light. Mm -hmm. Like they were, they were like piling God's law on these people and it was heavy and they couldn't do it. And Jesus is there to be like, this is not what it's about. Yeah. Like they know the law, but they're, they're going about it in all the wrong ways. Like this Mm -hmm. is not what, this is not what it's about. And I just liked the wording. It stuck out to me. I love that. I love that. I love the thought of him kind of like sifting you know, like there's like a little yeah, bit of teaching truth in them everything. how to sift through. Yes. Yeah. Like teaching them how to recognize, like we talk about seeing everything through the lens of the gospel, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what he's teaching them to do. Like he's yeah. teaching them to, to read and hear and understand through the gospel, what he's mm-hmm. teaching. Which he, which he kind of wraps up when he says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, I love how he yes. always just kind of brings it through the funnel. Like there's like mm-hmm. this big, large message. And then he brings it down to here's the thing, justice, mm-hmm. mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a <laughs> gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> I noticed something really interesting where in 23.8, Jesus says, don't let anyone call you rabbi. But then we see in 26.25 where Judas comes to betray him and he says, rabbi, am I the one? That's significant too, because surrounding that in Matthew, that where all of the disciples are calling him Lord and yep. master. And Judas is the only one that's still calling him rabbi. Yep. Yeah, and Jesus said, "Don't let anyone call you rabbi." So, well, in this like, case, even he's teacher. the teacher. He's yeah, he he's is the rabbi. Saved the, yeah, yeah. Let, save that authority for God, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a couple things that were interesting to me. And you be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Yeah. That's what he says to the Pharisees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what Christ says. You have one instructor, the Christ. He's talking about, like that's. I never noticed that before. What were you going to say, Annika? I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh, there were a couple, there were a few things that stuck out to me this read through in Matthew, specifically because of the version that I'm reading. Matthew 24, that's like kind of a big deal chapter we talked about. I mean, it's like very um, prophetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things that is interesting to me at the very beginning of 24, like in the first few verses, maybe in five-ish, Jesus is saying like, this is what's going to happen. But then he says, this is routine history. This is no sign of the end. And just the idea that like, we want to, we tend, not that there aren't specifics in scripture, but we tend to like, want to look for those very specific things and say, oh, this happened. So this, like Jesus is basically saying, this is, I thought that was interesting. But Mm -hmm. the other thing that I thought was super interesting, somehow we were talking about prayer in a few Mm -hmm. minutes ago in Genesis or Nehemiah. Yeah. We were talking about the effectiveness of prayer and Abraham for a lot. Yeah. Right. That's right. 
So this is also the section where it says what it talks about Jesus coming again, that even the son doesn't know, just the father knows, but mm-hmm. Jesus tells them. I feel like he's foreshadowing here what he tells them yes. in um, Matthew 25, one through 13. Yeah. That's like a parable version of it. Yeah. Okay, so this is Jesus is describing basically like things that are going to happen in the end. And he says, hope and pray that this won't happen during the winter on a Sabbath. And then later on, it talks about the fact that no one knows the exact hour when Jesus is going to come back, not even the Father or the Son. And so I just was thinking about like how interesting it is that Jesus is telling believers to pray about this very specific thing. Like we know this is going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know all the details surrounding it. There are lots of opinions on that, but as believer, Jesus is asking believers to pray and ask God that it will happen in a certain way. And just like, that's a lot to contemplate about how Mm -hmm. effective our prayers are. Like, yes. I've just been mulling that over a lot. That actually ties into the end of Matthew for me, where Jesus is praying in the garden. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought about the fact that like, he literally prays the same words three times. Like for me, sometimes I think like, if I, if I only, if I don't have anything more to say, there's no point in praying, but He literally prays and asks the cup to pass from him. But Mm -hmm. if it isn't like that, his will be done. Like he's saying it's the same prayer that he goes back to pray for hours. And it just makes me think like, similarly, he also is asking the disciples to pray to keep themselves from temptation. So like you said, like he's still asking us to, he asks his people to pray how important it is to Jesus that we pray is such an important, like that's such a really good observation an application to take from that, but from all of that. And then even beyond that, the idea that we can say the same, we can pray the same prayer over and over and over again. Cause even Jesus did that to the father who he knows, which is encouraging. I love this and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Anytime Jesus finds like quiet, I'm just so I feel so good for him. Yeah. I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) Thank you, God, for just taking a little bit of time for yourself. (laughs) Anyway. I I still absolutely love um, the story of the bridegroom. And I think I cried when I first listened to your Matthew podcast and just how like that that struck me so hard because it's not like when we collect our oil and even if it's like manna or just us reading the Bible, it's always, like you said, Erin, it's always going to be enough for us. Mm. And I'm such like, I'm such a giving person. It's like, Oh, well, I just, I want to give it to you, but it's not something that can actually be given. That's great. I was like, what did I say? (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Preach, this Meredith. Is, you guys, this is from like you guys. This is from when I would just like spend those hours. But it was, it's just, it's just, it's like I loved when I was listening to your Matthew podcast. It was just like everything Annika had said, and then how it's not, it's nothing that we can actually give to anyone else. And it's, and I think Erin, you mentioned this when we have to go and collect our mana, and it's just 
however many cupfuls we get, that is always going to be enough for us. Mm. But okay. I mean, I could, I mean, I could tell people all day long, go read the Bible, go read the Bible, go read the Bible. But if they're not being called to do it for themselves, whatever I have to offer them, it cannot be offered. I can't give like how I feel in my faith. I can't give to someone and do else it for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then you connect that whole part about Abraham and Lot and it's like, but we do have a part. We can have an effect in our prayers because our prayers actually are effective, but yeah, we can't be responsible for what other people, whether people are prepared when right. they're we're called to work pray on their own. Mm-hmm. and we're called to love, but ultimately yeah. Lot makes his own decisions. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Annika? Oh, I have so many things. A can of worms coming. Yes. Well, I just was like thinking a couple weeks ago, I feel like we were talking about, yes, it's up to lot. We have, there's like, we have choice as humans. Like we make choices and we're responsible for choices that we make. But I mean, I guess I, I guess I'm not disagreeing with what we're saying. Mm -mm. Lot made me think about the friends that bring the paralyzed man to Jesus and they lower him just like, like you said, Meredith, like we can't do anything. Like I cannot believe for someone else. And yet God uses his people in the lives of other people in ways we will never comprehend, I think, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah. And we can't know what they need. Right. Right. We are literally here to tell our story of faith to me. This is what it's all about is we can tell our story of faith and hope that this inspires others. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tracy can tell her story and it inspires a whole different group of people than when I tell my story mm-hmm. and in, it inspires people. And then when Erin tells her story, it inspires a group of people. And so we all just have our stories that we are, to me, I, we are meant to tell our stories mm-hmm. to inspire those to go and do the thing. And that's what the Bible's for too. I mean, we hear about their stories and it inspires us to go mm-hmm. and do the thing, but people kind of have to do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's actually a great place to end. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.